Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others and the planet. Hi everyone, I'm so wrapped in our episode today, bringing back safety with physical and psychological safety with Mr Anthony Gibbs. Such a key topic, I know so many companies are striving to improve their safety position. This episode goes into these two core elements of physical and then also psychological safety that is hot news right now. I think there's a lot of great stuff going on in this episode. You're going to learn a lot of good stuff, which thank you, Anthony, for that. If you want to get hold of it, there's a process up on the Enterprise Excellence Podcast website just on downloads. It's called the Leader, Lead from the Front, Walk Technique. This plays a lot to really getting good outcomes in safety. It's a bit we can contribute. So if you want to go get that process, it's called the Leader, Lead from the Front, Walk Sheet. You'll learn a lot from it. Hopefully it helps. Let's get to the episode. Welcome to episode 135 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Mr. Anthony Gibbs on the show with us today. Anthony is the CEO of Centres, one of the world's leading organisations in helping enterprises improve their culture in relation to physical and psychological safety. Anthony believes in unleashing the potential of people to make change for the possible. Centres use brain tools, psychology and neuroscience to enhance and celebrate what it means to be human, being healthy, cared for and safe. Today we explore the latest thinking in physical and psychological safety. Let's get into the episode. Anthony, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Brad, and hello to your listeners. Mate, really appreciate it, Anthony. It's going to be a great chat. Mate, what's what's your backstory first, Anthony? Like, What, what led you down this path to be getting into cutting-edge psychological and physical safety, which is, mate, so important. Oh, yeah, Brad. So probably a bit of an unusual background in some regards. I, I went to uni, studied psychology, and then um, sort of lost my way halfway through my degree. Didn't know whether that was what I wanted to do or not. But I ended up jagging a job at a local drug and alcohol rehab in Mackay. And I, I came on as a community support worker there. And I actually started to see some of the tools put into practice and that sort of re-inspired my energy. So I went back and I kicked my degree back into gear and, and kept on working at the at the rehab um, part-time. Uh, ended up becoming an allied health worker there and then ran the facility for a period of time as well. Um, and, and really started to see the impacts and, and the results of giving people different tools uh, in the way that they think. I then sort of worked for a couple of different uh, organisations, mostly in supporting people to recover from from being unwell. But uh, it was just burning in the back of my head the whole time that, you know, it's, a lot of the people I was working with, if they've been given some different tools a little bit at, at a different stage in their lives, um, you know, maybe they wouldn't have to be sitting here talking to me. So I was, I was sort of on the hunt for a, for a way to replace, uh, apply psychology in a more positive way. And I saw this ad pop up for Senus and it was this, out of this sort of hiker on the top of a mountaintop, you know, it was all about pushing boundaries and, you know, helping, you know, break through barriers and adventure and and, and supporting people to, to reach new peaks in, in performance. And I went, oh, geez, that looks pretty interesting. And, and it was centers. So 
I applied and I was lucky enough to get the gig. Um, and here I am 15 years later. I started off as a, as a facilitator and I've held a bunch of different roles and now I've, I'm very fortunate to be in the role that I am leading centres. It's uh, amazing, mate. I know when I first came across Centus too, and I think it was uh, one of your team members presenting at an excellence event, and it just blew me away, the knowledge that was being shared and the, the thinking that goes on at Centus. So I, I can understand why they put that sort of ad back in place back then. And then the one thing I'd like to loop back on too, mate, like I'm guessing up in Mackay too, for those around the world that don't know, Mackay's in the heartland of heavy industry in Australia. You know, you've got heavy industry in the Mackay and then around it, you've got a lot of the mining industry and stuff like that. Like, I guess from a safety perspective, mate, I guess you, you know, it's part of the culture there, isn't it? Like, it's known that things are risky. And so I guess you're in the heartland of it. Yeah, look, I, I guess, um, uh, you know, I was living in Brisbane at the time. I've actually moved back up to Mackay. Mackay, lots of cane farms, so lots of agriculture, and, and obviously there's risks and hazards attached to that. We've got all the, the mines out in the Bowen Basin and the Galilee Basins and, and the like out the west. Um, you've also got the ports here, um, and you've got a bunch of creeks that are full of great fish, but crocodiles as well. So, yeah, managing risks and managing hazards yeah. is is part of the lifestyle here, but also taking risks and, and, and making those choices is is one of those sort of things. So it's a really interesting dynamic in that, you know, um, you sort of get used to risks and hazards um, and it's often not until these things are drawn directly to your attention and you're challenged to think about those things differently, challenged to think about, um, I guess, safety as an investment as opposed to something that, you know, isn't, you know, something that's imposed on us. Um, yeah, that, that's often a, a transition that, that, that people will make often later in their lives. You know, mm. you have kids and you start to think about safety differently. The opportunity, I think, for a lot of organisations is to support, you know, to support people to do that sooner and more deliberately and in a more focused way. Yeah, I could imagine. And, and with, Anthony, with excellence in physical and psychological safety that we're talking about today, what are the key factors as you know, you see it now? Like, mate, we've spoken about how centres you you're constantly looking for innovation and how how do we do things better but as it stands right now mate what are you seeing as the key factors look i think organizations when it comes to safety typically define safety as physical safety you know we're, we're going to make sure that people don't get physically harmed and and physically hurt um and there's a really strong focus on that we're going to put guardrails and policies and procedures and rules and all those sorts of things in place to to sort of nearly help people protect themselves from, from themselves to a certain extent. What we're seeing sort of more progressive organisations do, and this has been helped along a little bit by the new changes in legislation around psychosocial risk, is uh, looking at the definition of safety being broader than just physical safety, but also incorporating psychological safety and social safety as well. So for those of you, for your listeners who aren't aware or familiar with psychological and social safety, so social safety refers to the sense of security that people have within the relationships and interactions with others. So we're talking there about, you know, are we supporting people to be in a workplace that's free from discrimination, harassment, bullying, you know, those negative social interactions. And then with the psychological safety, it's are we putting people in an environment where people can express their thoughts and opinions without the fear of negative consequences, uh, either personal or, or, or work-wise. Now, if we truly want to shift organisational cultures, both from a safety perspective, but from a whole range of different perspectives, whether it's capacity, 
innovation, you know, whatever the case may be, there's a strong interplay between those three components of safety. And those three um, components of safety feed off one another in both helpful and, and hindering ways, I guess. So by broadening our definition of, of what helps people feel truly safe at work, we've got this opportunity to think about safety differently uh, and, and, in a, and in a more in a, in a way that creates positive change in a right range of different areas within an organization's culture. And so and then with with that, what you're talking about there, where you've got social safety, which is about all those, I guess, negative or positive aspects, depending on what you look at it, about human connection and do I feel safe at work and, and do mm-hmm. I feel respected and so forth. And then you mentioned psychological safety, which is do I have a voice? Do I, can I raise any concern? Am I going to be respected? Mm-hmm. So what you're saying, mate, is that these two factors of, you know, social and psychological safety, they intertwine to actually get that greater safety result. What, how's that play out, mate? What, what plays out there to create that greater, greater safety outcome when you're looking at those two factors? Yeah, look, so a lot of the clients we work with are in the heavy industry sector, yeah, as, as you mentioned earlier, um, in this region, but, but also globally. So there's this very, very strong focus on making sure that people don't get physically harmed or, or even even killed because that is a reality of the of the industries and types of work that people do. So organizations will will really push hard, you know, there'll be like these really detailed rules and guidelines and you know quite directive top-down approach. And and in this desire for um for I guess um people being compliant with with the rules and regulations that are being put in place, leaders will feel this sense of nearly a, a paternal parental kind of uh, way of, of leading people. Now, the challenge with that is, you know, we can sometimes focus so heavily on the, the physical, like do you must do this, that relationships can be damaged, you know, um, or, or, or the quality of relationships can be ignored or people won't be put in circumsta- uh, circumstances or conditions where they have a voice or their voice is heard or they can speak up. So you've got this scenario where the frame can be that your workforce is this army of problems that we need to fix, that we need to put in a box, that we need to control. But the opportunity is if we really think about safety more broadly and think about that psychological and social safety, you can flip the you can flip the whole conversation. Well, actually, our workforce could be an army of problem solvers. You know, they're the people closest to the work. They're the people who are connecting with things on a daily basis. So how do we create the conditions where as opposed to us imposing will, policing, this top-down management piece, how do we create freedom within a framework? How do we create circumstances where we can actually draw the good out of the workforce, help them to help us solve the problems, get them to take ownership of safety uh, on a day-to-day basis? And again, the byproducts of this are, are great in terms of not only safety, but if you get this right in safety, you get people innovating, putting ideas forward around a whole range of different things uh, in an organisation that can improve your bottom line as well. Well, mate, that's that's big. So really what you're talking about is traditionally when you're just focused on physical safety, it can be this paternal approach, but that can lead to like more of a command and control, you must do this, which can break down someone's voice and, and stop their voice and also create social negative outcomes. What you're saying, mate, is that the blend of a psychological and social safety approach plus the physical in the right way, you create however many employees are your problem solvers and your safety improvers in the organisation. I think, I know 
you know, you, you work with BHP, I work with BHP, 80,000 problem solvers, 80,000 safety solvers. It's Ooh. impressive, isn't it? Well, and you've got this great vehicle through safety because safety is a, is a pretty universal concept. You know, I think you can make the assumption that most people uh, in your organisation, it's very rare not to have this, go to, don't go, like, they go to work to go home safely, you know, to provide, yeah, and the reason they go to work is to, you know, to get money to invest in, yeah, the things and people and places and, you know, the stuff that matters to them. So you can actually double down on this kind of concept of safety within an organisation and use it as a way to demonstrate tangible leadership, to demonstrate tangible care and commitment to the workforce and in turn create a sense of reciprocity uh, and connection. So I care more than you, Brad, as just an employee who can dig a bunch of stuff out of the ground or cut a bunch of cane or do a bunch of stuff for me. You know, uh, I care about you as a human, on a, on a human level. Um, and, you know, because of that, I respect you socially. I, you know, you have a voice, you, you know, and, and I'm going to ask you for your opinion, your input and perspectives. And it creates a different type of feeling within an organisation. For your listeners, I guess you have a think about the leaders in your life that have truly given you energy, you know, how they engage with you versus the leaders that when you get called into their office, you get that kind of feeling in your stomach, and, you, know, you, you start sweating bullets and, you know, and, and what's it like to work in those organisations? How much discretionary effort do you put in? How much engagement do you have? How much are you going to go above and beyond for those uh, workplaces? Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. I, I pictured it myself, mate, with places that I've worked where you get that real positive and it, like, it gives you energy, doesn't it? Like there's a there's a win here I can understand, mate, just thinking about that analogy you gave there to guess to think about that through this, yes, you're going to get engagement, greater engagement. You're going to get everyone improving safety. But also, mate, the, the, what you're saying, I guess there's a strong purpose to it. There's a motivation. There's an energy that comes from it too. Like that's what I reflected on when you are talking about think of that time when you're with a leader that really gave you that feeling. Yeah, look, I mean, it's the old saying, right? Like culture eats strategy for breakfast. And and I think if you can get these things right, um, you know, you can build those relationships, you can build those connections. People give you more benefit of the doubt as well. You know, like people make mistakes, leaders make mistakes, organisations make make mistakes, as do people in the workplace make mistakes. We're all humans. We all We all do these things. Do we punish those mistakes? Do we hold, like, do we look to... Yeah, you know, smash people over the head for those mistakes, or do we look to create a learning culture where we're going, all right, well, something didn't go right. How do we learn from that? But even building on that, Brad, how do we learn from the not only the mistakes but the things that go right? Because there's probably a whole lot more going right within our organisations than it's going wrong. A lot of that gets ignored, right? So how do we learn from the good to create more good and, and create that positive momentum and that positive energy? Yeah, I can see with what you're saying there, mate, that there's a whole part to this on on recognising and spreading the great outcomes that happen from this empowered, engaged workforce on safety as much as collaborating to deal with something that's a challenge. Yeah, yeah. And look, a lot of these principles, again, you use safety as the anchor point, Brad, but then you build your culture on the back of this, on the back of this safety. And you know, given the work that you do around innovation and helping people, you know, make things better and go faster and improve, you know, if you've got this foundation where not only are people physically safe but psychologically and socially safe as well, um, it just sets up far better conditions for people to innovate, I'd imagine, and and actually um, create positive change. Yeah, yeah, I can understand. I can I can see that with what you're talking about, mate, it's going to give you everything. 
because while people are basically you know really focusing in and driving safety improvement they're going to be getting gains for everything else at the same time that's the goal it's yep, huge absolutely. yeah mate now the whole this approach sounds really simple mate but i'm guessing it's not easy look it, it, it's not so those elements of safety don't uh, operate within a vacuum right like so the, there's a culture or a climate that sits around each individual which will be impacting i guess on on the sense of safety within each of the spheres that we've spoken about and and unpacking and understanding well what are the current antecedents or drivers of the cu current cultural results you're getting is pretty important so um, when we look at an uh, unpacking organization's culture you know at a high level we'll look at the practices that are in place you know are they clear are they concise is there a bunch of clutter in there do they have meaning for the worker have the workers been consulted in in, uh, in the development of those we'll look at the environmental controls the planning the engineering the design even the way work is scheduled and rostered uh, we'll look at individuals attitudes skills capabilities the amount of learning developments that have been put into them but we also look at leadership um, now the fascinating thing is there is an incredibly strong correlation between the capability and maturity of that leadership group and the culture of an organization and and when i talk about that i'm talking not about the frontline leaders uh as the only influencer of this because that's what get a lot of the attention you know if there's issues it's like it's a frontline leader issue if you've got a frontline leader issue and a team issue you've got an executive issue um so um uh, that culture will cascade very much down from the top. So if you're going to start somewhere, start with your leadership and what are their frames around this? Yeah. Anything on that a lot, you know, I've had a lot of experts over the years to come on from different angles on this, you know, like uh, Peter Hines, Dr. Peter Hines from more of a mm -hmm. lean business improvement side and um, Jeff Leica and um, many others. So apologies for those that I'm not mentioning. And I hear that same thing, mate. I hear the language of that, that, predecessor that antecedent that what is leading to what's happening and two parts is the systems and the things that are going on like you mentioned but then also the leadership behavior they seem to be the two big dials to work on and you know it was just it's amazing hearing that from yourself also from that yeah. you know you bringing that in from that safety lens yeah now, look, I'll, I'll give you another example of that. Like with the big push around psychosocial legislation, a uh, big push around psychosocial safety that's on at the moment with the updated legislation that's come through. Now, there's 13 odd different things that organisations need to lift up to in order to, I guess, be seen as adequately meeting that legislation. So people go in, they'll do risk assessments and they'll sort of map it out. But if the fundamental attitude of, um, of the leadership team is, oh, look, this is just, you know, the woke movement getting too much, uh, you know, too much focus and, um, you know, all the cupcakes just need to, you know, get a, a teaspoon of concrete and harden up, which is some of the attitudes that we're seeing permeate through. It's not going to get the result. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the real opportunity here, as I've discussed, is if we get this right, like if we do create that psychological and social it's not just about meeting legislative requirements. It's actually about getting people to unite and connect better to create better physical safety, but better overall organisational outcomes. So mm. there's a cracking opportunity here for organisations, I think. Yeah, it's a massive win-win, isn't there? And then there's, I, I think too, mate, through my career, I've read one or two case studies on, on organisations that lead their excellence journey with a safety lens. 
I can't. A big steel manufacturer out of America. I can't. Yeah, Alcoa is a famous example of that. Yeah, absolutely. So Alcoa have done that. You know, there's um, examples with uh, everyone would have heard of Fukushima, um, Mm. but no one would have heard of Onoagua. Apologies for anyone that speaks better Japanese than me. Yeah, that that was a power plant that was north of Fukushima. It was actually closer to the to the center of the. of the tsunami that of the earthquake and then the resulting tsunami got hit hit by bigger um by, by it got hit by more significant outcomes than fukushima but because of the leadership team putting in different controls a bigger seawall running emergency readiness looking more broadly um for ways to make sure that their plant was safer they were actually local the local township went to that site to get help uh, and and that's where they stayed while they were getting their homes rebuilt as opposed to Fukushima which is a well-known disaster right so like this is the difference um, you know that planning that and, and and it all came down to leadership and culture on that particular site and that willing to be innovative so it's a really interesting thing that we often find with safety as well you know that's another example where everyone knows about the disaster but no one knows about the success you know my challenge is yeah, we can learn from that disaster. But what did what do the successful sites do that, that yeah. mean that we're, they're getting great results? Yeah, that's huge. I've never heard that story before, mate. And thanks for sharing. That's a that's an impressive one, especially side by side in a major event. That's, that's yeah. That's and for your one. listeners, if they want to Google the uh, alcohol one, it's Paul O'Neill. You can jump on YouTube, and he he basically uses safety as a uh, as a lever. To, to increase in, improve the uh, market position of alcohol significantly and he got he copped a lot of criticism for that uh, at the time from the market um, but yeah the results speak for themselves so yeah YouTube uh, Paul O'Neill and you'll you'll see him speaking and you'll hear about his results through that yeah I'm gonna go check it out it's huge now mate Anthony with this journey we know we're talking about leadership behavior we're talking about systems we're talking about um, social and psychological safety. And I know that centres, you know, your team is geared, you know, you've got the experts working for you across all fields of knowledge. But where where should someone start, mate, if they were to go, right, okay, we want to look at this. Where would you say they start and how do they engage with centres too, mate, on that? Yeah, look, I, I think it's always good to start by getting some data to do some planning. It's that whole kind of, I know it's a worn out analogy, but measure twice and, and cut once, I, I think particularly if you're in a situation where things are really not going right, there can be a, a tendency to just to jump straight into action. Um, and you want to be really sure that you're targeting the right thing with that action because sometimes when it comes to culture, it's not necessarily always completely obvious why you're getting the outcome that you're getting. So the way we would typically support organisations to tackle, you know, creating a shift and creating that change is probably by one of two ways. One uh, one way is to look at their organization's incident data. Um, and what we would look at the, uh, we'd do is we'd look at that data from a lens of not only what is the actual outcome of those incidents, but what is the potential attached to those incidents and what are the precursors to the, to the more serious incidents occurring. And, you know, cre- creating a focus on the critical few areas of safety and the, and, and the precursors so that we can make sure the big stuff is getting managed properly. So that's one angle that organisations will sometimes take, or the other uh, angle is through a cultural lens. So 
we use a qualitative quantitative approach uh, where we get collect survey data and we run semi-structured interviews out in the workforce. It's an internationally recognized process that we've received awards for. Uh, that information, you know, we're able through that process to provide organisations with Tableau dashboards that can drill down the group size to 10. So uh, you, you, you can get in there using the demographics and you can actually get straight down and say, all right, where is internal context? So internal context like change management, poor communication, unclear decision making, where's that causing an issue? Straight down into it. You know, where is it um, that underreporting is an issue? And why is underreporting an issue? Is it that the system's broken? Is it that uh, people report stuff and nothing gets done? Is there a sense that if there's shoot the messenger happening within the organisation? So you can get this data, and as opposed to kind of guessing and doing these broad brush strokes, you can go, all right, these are the top five things that are causing us the most challenges right now. And actually, those top five things are having a radiating effect often. Yeah, that one thing won't just affect one outcome. It'll, it'll potentially affect three or four outcomes. So by doing that measurement piece, you, just, you can zero in, you can get to what you need to target straight away. Yeah, that's huge. And I can understand the benefit of it too. And because I, in companies I've been involved with, I've seen so many safety initiatives rolled out and there's a real risk without that targeted approach. I'm hearing that, you know, could it be seen as, are we rolling out the right thing? Are we targeting the right thing to truly get us going forward more in social, psychological and physical safety? It's a great change management tool, Brad, too. You know, if you get the information from the workforce, hear it, let people know what you've heard and what you're going to do about it, then all you're doing is you're playing back, we've, we've heard what you've said and this is how we're going to address it. And if you can involve some people in helping you come up with the plan as to how you're going to address it, it, start, it, it moves from being an organisational issue to solve and it come, becomes a, a team thing. You know, we're in this together. You know, we've identified this problem together. We're going to solve this problem together. Um, you do need to make sure you follow through, Brad, um, obviously, uh, if you're going to do that sort of thing. But it's, um, it's a great way to, to kick the process off. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Mate, what would be your two-minute tip, enterprise excellence tip on social, psychological and physical safety? Mate, if you were in an elevator with someone going up a fair few stories, you had two minutes, what would you say? Yeah, yeah look, for me, it would be about going, you know, for each of those three areas, how do you know you've got a presence of safety in each of those. So not an absence of harm, but how do you know you've got a presence of safety? How do you know that you've got physically, the physical safety managed, the psychological safety managed, and the social safety managed? And if you can't answer that, um, you probably need to go and do a bit of a dig and look at what's in place. Um, it's a mistake, I think, to think that an absence of harm equals a presence of safety. Um, because there's a whole lot of reasons why things might not be permeating up to the top of the organisation, particularly if there is low psychological and social safety within that organisation. So, yeah, go looking for how do you how do you show the presence? Yeah, it sounds amazing. And mate, what's what's been a recent insight for you, Anthony? Like I know you guys are really cutting edge and you're constantly learning and developing and and new ways to help. What's been a recent insight for you? Ah, uh, look. A really interesting recent insight, particularly um, if we go to the physical incident space, is uh, a lot of the organisations we work with are in those high-risk industries. So there's a lot of work done around serious injury and fatality prevention. And one of the big insights that we've found is that organisations 
don't typically have a really good grip on the injury potential within their organization. So what I mean by that is a lot of organizations will measure the severity of incidents that occur or this or yeah and and they'll obviously measure near misses. What they're not doing is they're not extending those conversations to look at well what could have happened if not for fate, luck and chance. And, and what we're actually uh, finding is that there's this like this is huge discrepancy between the severity and the potential. So organizations have been focused to a bunch of I guess, high risk hazards that they weren't necessarily completely aware of and didn't have a grip of. And we're actually even in finding some instances that there have been critical risks or serious injury potentially um, incidents that haven't even made it into their onto their radar. So organisations haven't had a grip of their risk profile. So I guess getting hold of that data, zeroing in on the, the big risks and hazards, looking at the cognitive factors that feed into those, um, and looking at how we can create a culture around those, uh, that is a, that's a huge opportunity for a lot of organisations. They feel like they've got it covered, um, but when you actually get in, you look at the data, um, there's, there's some real, I guess, reason for concern in a lot of instances. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a big insight. And, you know, having, being unaware of those types of piece, you know, risk, that's a, that's a big risk. Like, that's, that's a big one. Oh, and look, psychological, psychological injury, is a big risk in a lot of organisations that, that is, isn't even on the radar of a lot of these organisations. So really going back to, to scratch and looking at your data is pretty important. Well, I love the work that Centus is doing, mate, you know, bringing in that neuroscience and psychology piece and everything that you're doing to now really look at, you know, all three together and how mm-hmm. can you create those really high performance cultures where everyone's involved, you know, 80,000 problem solvers or whatever your employee workforce is. It's massive. Well, mate, thank you so much for your time today, Anthony, and thanks for sharing your knowledge and expertise on such an important topic. Mate, how can people reach out to you and Centus if they want to learn more and, and get some help? Oh, thanks, Brad. Look, um, centus.com.au is our website. Uh, drop us a line or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, so Anthony Gibbs, uh, always happy to make a new connection and, uh, yeah, hopefully have a coffee at some stage. Yeah, well, mate, well, thanks for everything that Centus has done which i know is massive i've been i've known the journey from a long time and thanks for everything you continue to do mate too and just for listeners i guess one final thing is you guys are global aren't you i think you're you're across you like we are talking from australia but you cover a lot of countries yeah so at the moment we've currently got boots in the ground all through africa middle east canada us uh is where we're active at the moment with with clients got people on site right now doing doing the work we do best so yeah we do have that global reach yeah i think that's important i I should remember new zealand as well yeah (laughs) definitely definitely and i think too just listeners sometimes hearing two aussie accents it can be thinking it's just australia but no this is um you know a fair, fair coverage so anthony thank you very much mate really appreciate it such an important topic such a great episode thanks again mate for helping us create a better future thanks thanks for your time brad pleasure cheers mate bye bye What a great episode. Thanks again, Anthony. Really appreciate it. Such a key topic is safety. It plays at the heart of respect for people. It's so important. Remember, there's a free download on the leader, lead from the front, gimbal walk technique. This is such a key one to really driving safety the right way. I've seen dramatic drop in safety measures based on leadership getting out and following this sort of technique to really get some outcomes. Place the psychological safety. Also, of course, physical because you're there seeing it. The psychological is how you engage and the language you use to really 
build that confidence and trust and safety and being able to speak up, but also that focus on safety as part of it. So go to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast website, downloads, you can get hold of that. There were two key takeaways for me from this episode. First, the connection between social, psychological and physical safety. Focusing on physical safety alone can lead to a purely command and conformance culture. This directly impacts the social and psychological aspects of people in that organization. The risk is that the frontline people who are most at risk and mostly understand and see the challenges lose their voice and don't have a way to improve themselves. They become disempowered and disgruntled. The world of Agile at scale, the connected Agile organization where everyone is strategically and culturally aligned and improving every day in a transparent approach is such an important one to building this sort of culture. My second key takeaway was the power of leadership attitudes and behavior to support or impact creating a socially, psychologically and physical safe work environment. A leader's behavior, what they think, say and do, will either foster excellent outcomes or challenges. When you consider leadership behavior, what must a leader work with to improve? It comes down to three things. What they say, how they say it, their tone, their body language and what people see or hear about them doing. It's just three things to play with. It is not much to work with, simple really, but not easy. To change anyone's behavior, you are talking about habit change, creating new pathways of habit in the mind that are stronger than old habits. This requires emotion, motivation, a trigger to help prompt the practice, and then ongoing repetitive practice, and potentially reward at the end to help reinforce and create that positive energy. There is so much great research in this area, I recommend work by Dr. John Cotter, Charles Duig, and Norman Doidge. Thanks again for your time and knowledge, Anthony. Thanks for helping us create a better future. Bye for now.